Last week, we talked about why people reject. Why people reject. And we spoke about some reasons inside of the text at the end of Mark 11 of why the religious leaders and the elders rejected. We're back in the book of Mark. We're in week 37. And we're in the next verse in the book of Mark. So if you have your Bibles this morning, Mark chapter 12 is where we'll be. Mark chapter 12. So last week we spoke on why people reject. In the spirit of that, we're going to move directly in to a parable that Jesus gives of, of judgment. So you say, man, Josh, that's two weeks of, of negativity. Well, actually, if you go back a third week, Jesus went into the temple and overturned the tables and threw out the money changers. So this is actually three weeks of like confrontational, nitty-gritty, in-your-face Jesus. We told you that the latter portion of the book of Mark was going to be different. This is Jesus' final week of his life. In fact, a third of this gospel is given to the final week of his life. And this is a different week, for sure. This was not a week like we've experienced in the beginning portions of Mark, where he went around preaching uh, repent and believe. He went around uh, touching those that were blind and healing those that were in need of healing, of casting out demons and those that were possessed by demons. There was a lot of that. But now things are different. Now things have shifted a little this morning. We now come to Mark chapter 12. And here we see Jesus speak in the form of a parable. A parable. You may have heard that word parable if you grew up in church at all. You're familiar with that word, but parables were stories or illustrations that Jesus would use in order to teach a deeply spiritual lesson. Now, depending on which theologian and what vein of theology that you follow sometimes, um, there are some that believe some of these parables were stories that Jesus created in order to tell the story. And if that's the case, I'm not mad at him for doing that. Others believe that every single parable, there was a legitimate person. That was a, a specific story. So, for instance, the lost son Lost sons, if you've been around our church for the last couple of years, you know that the prodigal son is not a single son. There was an older brother that was just as lost as the younger brother. He was just lost in his pride. Anyway, that's not the sermon today, but I, I could. I could go there for like 45 minutes, and I'm not going to do it. First is that story. Did, did that family you know, legitimately exist? And, and my question is this. We could discuss that and debate that all day. At the end of the day, I mean, it's, I apologize in advance for this. I don't care. I don't care if the family really existed or not. The, the fact is, is that Jesus told the story, and he's told the story for us to learn a lesson. He didn't tell the story to expose the family. He told a story to teach a lesson. I don't know if the lost coins in the same chapter were real coins. I have no idea. But the fact is, he was trying to teach us a lesson. And so uh, today, there's a, a parable that Jesus is going to give. Now, sometimes the meaning of these parables can be difficult to decipher and to apply to our lives. Sometimes Jesus tells a story, and he did it earlier on in, in the book of Mark, where he will tell a story, and it will be a difficult one to comprehend, and it will create questions among his followers. This parable, however, was not one of those 
that was difficult to decipher. To, to decipher. This parable was very clear. His audience knew exactly who he was speaking about. So Mark chapter 12, if you have your Bibles, open them up. If you don't have your Bibles, you can follow along on the screen. Let's follow today's text, a parable of judgment, okay? A parable of judgment. Verse 1, then he began to speak to them in parables. A man planted a vineyard and set a hedge around it, dug a place for the wine vat and built a tower. And he leased it to vine dressers and went into a far country. Now at vintage time, he sent a servant to the vine dressers that he might receive some of the fruit of the vineyard from the vine dressers. And they took him and beat him and sent him away empty-handed. And again, the owner sent them another servant. And at him they threw stones, wounded him in the head, and sent him away, shamefully treated. And again he sent another, and him they killed, and many others, beating some and killing some. Therefore, still having one son, his beloved, he also sent him to them last, saying, they will respect my son. But those vine dressers said among themselves, this is the heir. Come, let us kill him, and the inheritance will be ours. So they took him and killed him and cast him out of the vineyard. Therefore, what will the owner of the vineyard do? He will come and destroy the vine dressers and give the vineyard to others. Have you not even read the scripture, the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Verse 12, and they sought to lay hands on him, but feared the multitude, for they knew he had spoken the parable against them. So they left him and went away. Heavenly Father, So much to unpack today, so little time. Guide my words, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen, I mean that today. I want to be aware. I want us to see, first of all, as we dive into this text, and there's a lot here today, folks, so just kind of buckle up, we're gonna roll. The context of the parable, okay, the context. Every time we read a passage of scripture, we always must look for the context, why is this here? Who is this written to? What are the things going on uh, spiritually, religiously at the time? Uh, even digging even deeper that we won't do today, but what are the things going on just kind of in the government and the political scene at the time? We need to understand those things. And, and by the way, we do. Also, we need to also understand God did not give us his book so that we couldn't understand it. Sometimes I think we dig so deep trying to figure out, is there something really weird here? And it's like, no. It means what it said. I guess why I put it there. Um, so there's a balance there, okay? But context is key. I say this often. False religions and cults are built oftentimes off of a verse of Scripture. A verse. So you take a verse and you take it out of context, and I can make the Bible say about what I want it to say. 
So we must understand the context in this parable, okay? The context of this parable, uh, in the first verse of, of uh, I'm sorry, the, the very first verse of this chapter refers back to Mark chapter 11, the previous chapter in verse 27, okay? And the previous chapter is from last Sunday. Then they came again to Jerusalem, and as he was walking in the temple, the chief priests, the scribes, and the elders, they came to him. Now, we spoke last week about how those were the three elements that made up the Sanhedrin, which was kind of the ruling uh, religious and spiritual government that dealt both in the religious and also in some of the personal things within their culture. But this was the ruling body of the day. So Jesus was speaking to the members, we believe, of the Sanhedrin, the elders of the church, the religious leaders, the scribes, the chief priests. These were the heads of religion. So we have to understand this. You remember, these are the men who, in last Sunday's sermon, we learned, questioned the authority of Jesus and went after his authority. On whose authority are you doing these things? Who gave you the right to perform these miracles? Who gave you the right to claim the things that you have claimed? These men uh, went after him last week in our sermon series. This in real time, it was the day before. And they had questioned his authority. They had shown their rejection of Jesus. And so Jesus is speaking directly to them. He's saying, I'm going to address you, the religious leaders of the day, but there's a greater context. And often scripture does this. And don't get lost in this. There's often times that there's scripture that is speaking directly to Keith. But it can also be speaking directly to Keystone Church. It doesn't mean it's not speaking directly to Keith. It means it is also speaking to the greater local church. In the same sense, there could be that same truth that, yes, it was speaking in specific context to Keith. It was also speaking to the greater context of Keystone Church. But it was actually speaking to the greater context of Durham, North Carolina and the believers in Durham, North Carolina. Right? And we could go on out, right? So oftentimes there are layers of context. And so here's a layer of context here. Jesus was speaking directly to those men who questioned his authority the day before. But he was also addressing the nation of Israel, the Jewish people. You see, those men, the elders and the chief priests and the scribes, they represented the Jewish people. They were the leaders of the Jewish people. And so he is not only speaking to them personally, but he is speaking to the nation of Israel. You, you remember that, the ones that he came unto his own and his own did not receive him. You remember those people, uh, specifically those in Nazareth, his hometown? You remember two times we learned he went to Nazareth, proclaimed the truth, and both times, what they do? Rejected. He never went back. That's who he's speaking to. That is who he's speaking to today. And remember, this is a parable of judgment. So the context we must understand. Secondly, this morning, not only the context must we understand, but we must understand this. The multitudes resisted the prophets. <coughs> Excuse me. The multitudes resisted the prophets. I'm not going to read it. We have, I have it in my, in my notes to read it. But I want to just highlight the fact that he sent a servant in verse 2. So here's what happened. 
Anybody in here raised Baptist? Raise your hand. Okay, so I'm going to try to pee. I'm, so this, uh, it was a grape juice making facility <laughs> that he sent him to. Sorry. I was raised Baptist too. I can joke about it. All right. Um, but uh, so they were making grape juice welches, actually. And um, anyway, so there's an there's a owner of this vineyard. He planted a vineyard. It was his. And he gave some vine dressers, some, uh, some people to steward it. That's a biblical word. But to manage and oversee um, the vineyard. And he went away. So he sends a servant in verse 2 and just says, hey, listen, I want to receive some fruit from the vineyard. Can I get some, some non-fermented grapes? So he sends a servant in verse 2. Verse 3, they took him and beat him and they sent him away. Okay? Verse 4, he sends another servant. They threw stones, wounded him in the head, and sent him away. He sends another servant in verse 5. And they killed him and many others. So he must have sent a lot more. Okay? And he, him they killed, and many others, they beat some, and they killed some. Not trying to make light of it, that's just kind of a funny way of saying it. <clears throat> many others came through, servants. We decided to beat some of them, we decided to kill some of them. It's not anything to play around, and it's not funny, but I have a weird sense of humor. Okay? Sorry. Kind of dark sometimes. So here's what happens. These servants come and say, I'm coming on behalf of the owner of the vineyard. I just need some, I would like to have some fruit. And to simplify it, they resist and they reject. They resist and they reject. These servants were beaten. Some of them killed. They were wounded. And they were sent on their way. And you say, Josh, what's the context? Well, that's where we need to understand that secondary context. The children of Israel, the nation of Israel, the Hebrew people. This is in reference to how the Jewish people have rejected the prophets of old. By the way, we're still dealing with this now in the nationalistic Jewish people. That the prophets of old said, Jesus is the Messiah. These are all the warning signs. Or this is how you're going to know that he's the true Messiah. This, 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 and this is going to happen. And he's going to be the true Messiah. Warning, we're telling you, we're, we're prophesying that to you. That is what's going to happen. Get ready. Prophecy, prophecy, prophecy from the Old Testament prophets. And they all were fulfilled. But it seems as if the nation of Israel and every prophet said, nah, threw a stone at that one. Nah, kill that one. Nah, beat that one. It was as if all of the Old Testament prophets that that the religious people looked up to and that the religious people idolized. It was as if they resisted the truth that was told to them from those prophets. And so this is why it's a parable of judgment. They had not believed the testimony of the prophets. Hey, does that remind you similarly to last Sunday if you were here? Last Sunday, Jesus reminded the same people that they did not believe John the Baptist. So here in this, in this showdown with the, with the Sanhedrin, Jesus says, you didn't believe John the Baptist. And now he's telling them, you didn't believe all of the servants of God, the prophets of old. You didn't believe them either. So you rejected John the Baptist, and now you've rejected all of them. And may I say this, 
God holds us accountable for how we deal with the truth, Jesus, no matter who delivers it. God holds us accountable for how we deal with the truth. These were his chosen people. These were the leaders, the religious leaders of the day in the Jewish culture. And Jesus was holding them accountable for what they heard of him. And by the way, I don't mean to bring judgment to you this morning, but I am here to tell you that you will be held accountable for the truth that you have heard in your life, especially the truth of darkness and light, especially the truth of heaven and hell, especially the truth of salvation. And so they resisted the prophets, the servants. But not only that, thirdly this morning, we must see this. The multitudes resisted the promised one. The promised one. Let's look at the, the language of verse 6. If you have your Bibles, look at it. If not, look on the screen. So this owner of the vineyard, the, ones, the one who owned it all, verse 6, therefore still having one son. Think back to John 3.16 as you're, as you're viewing this verse. Still having one son, his beloved, his only begotten, he also sent him to them last. Saying, and if I could, if I was on the translation team, I would have added one word here. I probably wouldn't, but anyway. Surely they will respect my son. I feel like that's kind of the the thought in this. Surely they will respect my son. Yeah, my servants, they didn't respect. They killed, they mocked, they beat, they rejected. But surely they will respect my son, my one son, my beloved son. But those vine dressers said among themselves, this is the heir. Come, let us kill him. And the inheritance will be ours. So they took him and killed him and cast him out of the vineyard. I want us to understand this morning a couple of things, but the first of which, Jesus in the last week of his life is predicting and prophesying what is going to happen in like three days. It's that close it's that real these people ruled the church they ruled the temple they had the authority why do you think last sunday we spoke about them challenging the authority of jesus it's because for centuries before they had held the authority the chief priests the high priests, they had the authority in the church. And why would they acknowledge in their mind that we know this is the son of the vineyard owner? Let me just say it, the son of God. We know it's the son of God. Intellectually, we know that it is. But we're going to kill him. And here's what they said. And the inheritance will be ours. We will keep our authority. We will keep our authority in the church. The people will still come through us. What happened when Jesus came? All of that temple stuff 
started getting thrown on its head. The Holy of Holies, the veil was torn. If you're in Hebrews, if you're in our, in our connect groups, I'm not sure what week you're on, but you're about to get there, all right? Um, if, you, if you haven't already been there, the veil was torn. And now the high priest didn't have to enter the Holy of Holies one year on behalf of all the people and spread the blood. No, that was torn. And we can now boldly, according to the book of Hebrews, you and I can now boldly enter into the presence of God. And so what did that mean for these people? You know what it meant? It meant that they no longer would hold that authority over the people. That now the local church would be born. And now we would meet in a building like this or even even more organically back in that day. Oftentimes they would meet in homes throughout the area. And they would proclaim God's truth. And they, would, and they wouldn't have to come to the temple in order to worship. They could worship in, in, right there where they were. And so what was this rejection? What was this rejection that these multitude of religious leaders was? It was because Jesus was attacking their position and their authority. And they say, if we can get rid of him, if we can kill him, we will retain our authority. What's sad is that the unbelieving Jews to this day, there's still some semblance of this authority within their religion. There's still still a semblance of that temple worship and hierarchy that exists in those unbelieving Jews. One thing I noticed about this text is that it says, therefore still having one son. God says, I sent prophet after prophet after prophet after prophet to you, trying to get you to believe. I sent John the Baptist, last chapter we spoke about it. I sent John the Baptist to you that you would believe. And this was their last chance. Jesus was their last chance. I mean, I say this very plainly and very clearly. R. Allen Cole has this quote that I love in this context Christ is God's last word to humanity. Christ is God's last word to humanity. There were no other saviors. There was no other truth. He was the way, he was the truth, and he was the life. And they resisted the promised one. And they even said, come and let us kill him. As Jesus was prophesying, what would happen within 72 hours? But I want us to see, fourthly, the multitude received judgment. They received judgment. What will the owner of the vineyard do, verse 9? What's he going to do about this? They're going to reject his son. He will come and he would destroy the vine dressers. Okay, context. Y'all, I'm telling you, the Bible actually fits together. It's crazy, all right? Context. He's speaking to the Jewish people. Not only them in person, but the Jewish, the greater Jewish people. And he says, I will come and I will destroy you and I will give the vineyard to others. Jesus came not just for the Jew, but he came for the 
Gentiles. And he says, I'm not just coming then. This ain't just for you then. I'm going to give this, my, my, my wealth or my vineyard, my, my belongings, me. I'm going to give of myself, not just to you, but I'm going to give it to others. I'm going to give it to the Gentiles. And boy, did that make some Jews mad. Have you not even read this scripture? The stone, Jesus, which the builders, them, rejected, has become the chief cornerstone. He says, you're going, to reject, you're going to reject me. Jesus says, you're going to reject me, but I'm going to become the chief cornerstone, the keystone, may I say, um, of, of, of salvation, of heaven and hell, of darkness and light. I'm going to become the crux, the point of impact. That will be Jesus. The stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. And by the way, this was the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. That's a throwback to an Old Testament scripture. What do they do? They begin the process of fulfilling the prophecy Jesus just said. They sought to lay hands on him, but they feared the multitude. For they knew he had spoken the parable against them. So they left him and they went away. This morning, I I must be truthful to you. God is a God of judgment and justice. We don't like to amen that. Let me, let, me, let me help you. God is a God of love and grace. Amen, right? <laughs> you know what he is? He's both and. We spend a whole lot of time in this church speaking about the love and the grace. But can I present to you today... Unless we will understand texts like this that we went over today, if we will not fully grasp a text like this and his judgment, I don't believe we can fully comprehend and appreciate and realize the love and the grace and the Romans 8 1, there's now therefore no condemnation to them that are in Christ. I don't think we can fully understand his love and his mercy and his grace if we do not understand and come to grips with his justice and his judgment. By the way, God is a God of judgment. And theologically, may I just tell you this morning that if you've believed in the name of Jesus and he is your substitute, then all of, all of the wrath of God and all the judgment of God has already been poured out on your behalf. And it was poured out on Jesus. He's already taken it. That's why Romans 8 exists. There's no condemnation. But may I say this this morning, if you choose to reject Jesus and you do not, you do not come to him in complete surrender and faith, and trusting him for your, your eternal salvation. May I say this morning that he's a God of judgment. The wages of sin is death. Hey, that's still there. For those of us who believed in Jesus and accepted his substitutionary life and death and resurrection, guess what? He paid for it. He paid the wage. But this morning, if you choose, like these religious leaders, if you choose to reject then this parable of judgment applies. Let us not get twisted this morning into thinking that there's not still a wrong on the other side of the right, correct? There's not still a negative on the other side of the positive. That's what makes the thing positive. So what makes grace grace is because we understand sin. 
What makes the light light is that we understand darkness. If we didn't understand darkness, we wouldn't understand light. I do love this little sliver that he throws in here. He quotes scripture. Even in his judgment, he's going to kill them. Even in his judgment, triumph accompanies it. The stone that the builders rejected. You can reject him all you want to. Guess what? He is the cornerstone. He is the impact point. He is the center point. And you can reject him or you can accept him, but the truth is Jesus is there. Can I give us a couple of practical applications this morning? And we can be we can be done. It is often those who are religiously familiar who struggle with Jesus. And maybe I should have added a word here. Who struggle with authenticity with Jesus. It is often those who are religiously familiar. Who did Jesus go after the hardest? The Pharisees? The religious leaders of the day? And may I say this? I say this in care and love because I was this, I was this boy. That oftentimes those who are around the church, who know the lingo, who've been in it, oftentimes deep down inside we can struggle with Jesus. I was raised in a pastor's home. When I say I knew how to play the game, I actually feel bad about even calling it that. But as a pastor's kid, I knew how to play the game. Because that's what it turned into. It was a game of like, who do I say brother to? Do I stand up when I'm supposed to stand up? Do I sit down when I'm supposed to sit down? Do I fill out this paperwork here? Oh, so-and-so's around. They might tell my dad I might need to chill. Oh, I'm in a safe space now. These are all my boys. I can do and say and act how I please because they're never going to tell my parents. I'm good. By the way, that doesn't always work. A lot of times I told my parents. So anyway. But can I say this, that if you have children especially or if you are an adult here today and you've been around church and been around church and been around church and been around church and been around church, understand that it is a fact of Scripture that oftentimes you can struggle. And may I say this, we want to be a church that allows you to struggle and we want to walk through your struggle with you and we want to help you fall into a real, a real, authentic, genuine relationship with Jesus. It's okay if you struggle. May I present this mind-blowing fact. I just believe that God is big enough to handle your struggles and your doubts and your issues. Call me crazy. So if you're here and you're religiously familiar and you're struggling with Jesus, you're in a safe space because for 19 years that was me. And I promise you we will create a church that you can come and talk to us and we can help walk you through that. Secondly, God is a God of judgment on those who reject Jesus. I'm not going to spend a lot of time here. But if you choose to reject Jesus, every bit of judgment outlined in Scripture is for you. Thanks, Josh. Sorry, I didn't write it. I don't write it. I just preach it. Um, I, it's like cussing, right? You, you write it down, I'll sign it. But... uh. No, God is a God of judgment. 
And if you willingly choose to reject Jesus, then everything that the Bible says that falls upon sinners and those who reject Jesus will fall on you. Bad news, lastly, in God's judgment, he still provides hope. No matter the judgment, I happen to believe that God is not the God of second chances because that is limiting him far too much. That he's the God of a third, fourth, fifth, keep rolling. He is the God of another chance. He's the God that's been rejected and rejected and rejected and rejected and rejected and rejected. And when that person who was rejected and rejected and rejected and rejected turns to him in faith as the prodigal son, he runs. And he falls on his neck and he kisses him and he brings him back into the family and he gives him his ring and and he throws a party. Even in God's judgment, he still provides hope. In this text... He's going to kill them. But the stone that the builders rejected is going to become the chief cornerstone. Jesus is going to be the end all, be all. A parable of judgment. I think you can agree with me. This parable is not a difficult one to decipher. This parable lays it out there very clearly. This Jesus on his last week of his life, man, this seems to be different than the first three and a half years of his ministry. We are walking towards the cross. These days that we'll be discussing over the next few weeks are intense. And I'm looking forward to it. I'm sure there's going to be some difficult texts and some difficult days. But I hope that over the the next few weeks as we close out this book of Mark, that we will appreciate the beauty of what Jesus did for us. Thanks for listening today. If you're listening for the first time, we would love to hear from you. Maybe you have a question about the gospel of Jesus. If so, we'd like you to send us an email at hello at keystonerdu.church. If you're a regular listener to our podcast and you would like to donate to the media and outreach ministries at Keystone, your gift would allow us to do more in an effective way to get the gospel out. Thank you for partnering with us in ministry in Durham and around the world.